morning. Welcome to Burra Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Elvis has left the building. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this, and this is the Rory translation. Faith gives us confidence in the things that we hope for. It's the assurance that God will deliver on the things we do not see. Faith gives us the confidence in the things we hope for. It's the assurance that God will deliver on the things we do not see. We have a reliable God in whom we place our faith, and he always comes through for us. We study the Bible to learn the payoff for the faith, faith that we place in the Lord. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He's also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and he tabernacled among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and he is the Jewish Messiah. At Barat Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. And i got to tell you something. That thing is amazing. When you are in any discussion with anybody about God and you just go get into that little fight that people get into, all you have to do is go behind the scenes, go into the background, and look at things from God's perspective, and you'll understand everything. So we make a difference by teaching from God's perspective. And those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home are Christians. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. That's that sign over my head. Jesus Christ is God. We know that Jesus Christ is God. We don't just believe it, we know it. Because our beliefs are only any good to the degree that they connect to the truth. God has an enemy, though, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. He is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you and me. He doesn't want us to get to know God, and he interferes with our chance to know God. And Satan's strategy against the human race is religion which is designed to make us either indifferent or antagonistic to God. Religion deceives many into thinking they are saved when they might not be. I remember when I was a Roman Catholic and all my Christian friends would keep telling, they would keep evangelizing to me and they would tell me, pray this prayer. And I said, I'm already a Christian. I was a Christian before I was a Catholic, but they were so worried about me that I had been deceived and that I was going to go to hell. and uh, It's just crazy. But anyway, re religion is that good. It deceives a lot of people into thinking they're saved when they might not be. So religion absolutely works. But the Word of God is truth. And it informs us about Satan's insidious deceptions. As believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord who has overcome the world. Let me tell you a story real quick. So I get together with a group of men once a month, and this just began. And so our second meeting was on Friday, and I had a sheet of paper, and I handed it to them all, and I said, how do you get to heaven? 
So they were going to, they thought it was a talking point. I said, now write it down, please. Just write it down. So they all wrote it down. By the way, I'm just warning you, this is going to be a quiz in Barah Ministries next week. So, you know, this, if you want to dodge Barah Ministries for any days, it might be next week because you're getting a quit. So anyway, so they write down the things and what, five or six of them, or four or five of them, had the answer. But one answer was off. And I told them, use verses if you can. And the verses were okay, but there ought to be about four or five automatic verses that come when, you, when somebody says, hey, all right, how do you get to heaven? There should be five verses that come just like that, seven verses that come just like that. And so I just want you to know that I don't ever take anybody's salvation for granted because we, we're getting together as a group of Christian men. Well, if we're Christian men, the first thing we better know is do we know how to be saved? Are we in fact saved? Because that's what it means to be a Christian. The point I wanted to get at is don't take your relatives' salvation for granted. Give them the quiz. And see what they come up with. And it'll make you sick at your stomach, actually. Because you start asking that question of people. You start asking them, what does it take to get to heaven? How do you get to heaven? They start talking all that crap. And there are only two possible answers. A biblical one and a world one. The biblical one will be verses. And it'll it'll be about one word. Believe in Christ. Christ is the word. And the other one will be, well, you got to serve and you got to, you, you got to, uh, you go to church and you got, none of that. It's a single moment in time. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. So, if you love people, better give them the quiz. Amen? Don't be playing. Better get those little kids of yours a quiz. Because we don't want anybody left behind. (laughs) 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 Then he said, "Uh, I have a different opinion. There are some people we do not want to make the trip. (laughs) Some of them are my children. I, I, I got an amen on that. Today's Bible lesson why I don't want to go to church. Why I don't want to go to church. One of my friends said that to me. You want to know why I don't want to go to church? I said, because you're stupid. (laughs) So I'll share some of that with you in light of what we're going to be studying today. In a word, why people don't want to go to church is people. You heard it right. People. Church would be great if it wasn't for people. That's what most people say. People who think this are missing the point. Wait, maybe they have a point. Isn't there a Bible verse that says fixing our eyes on people? No? Oh, well, what does it say? Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We are to keep on fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame of the cross, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. So actually, going to church offers two things. And in today's lesson, we'll see what those things are as we examine what was going on in the first century church at Corinth this time. These people are crazy, these people in Corinth, but they're no crazier than us. Well, let's start with some music. As believers in Christ, we get down on ourselves from time to time, and we wonder how God could love someone like us. But God never has a question about us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, The Lord has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. What is grace? It's God allowing us to make mistakes and being okay with our mistakes. Why is he okay with our mistakes? Because he paid for every one of them at the cross. Does he want us to make mistakes? No. But the Lord has said to me, according to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for divine power is perfected in human weakness. Paul says, then, most gladly, therefore, I, Paul, will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ, divine omnipotence, God has all the power, may be displayed to the world through me. What a magnificent idea. Yes, everything changed when we became believers in Christ, and our minds must change with it. Here's Rhett Walker Band to remind us in, the, in song, what happened when mercy found me.
us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for giving us differences, different races, different nationalities, different genders, different socioeconomic situations, different pressures, so we can see your plan for mankind play out successfully in every circumstance. Teach us how to value the differences in ourselves and in others. Teach us how to treat people as we study your word. Help us to make a difference in the lives of everyone we meet, especially by sharing the gospel message with them. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, why I don't want to go to church. Why I don't want to go to church. People are why most people don't go to church. I can't even tell you how many times in my life I've heard people say, I don't go to church as much as I should. Well, should is guilt. But you got to get beyond that because the comment is usually followed up by some comments about people. See, one time, like 35 years ago, I went to church one Sunday, and this lady spilled coffee on me, and since then, I haven't gone to church. Come on. Seriously? Come on. Or somebody... Uh, there, there are a lot of reasons. One of the more frequent comments pertains to how hypocritical Christians are. They're a hypocrite. They're in church every time the door opens, and then they're doing all these dirty things to people. Well, I'm always happy to confirm their assessment. You're right, I tell them. And the pastor is usually the biggest hypocrite of all. So why bother going to church? Why do you choose to come to Barah Ministries every week when you could be doing something else. For that matter, why do I, the hypocrite, bother to come to Barah Ministries every week when I could be doing something else? You know, I got this omelet on my mind right now. I made an omelet yesterday that was out of this world. I cannot wait to get home to make that omelet again. And look, I mean, y'all are in the way of a brother's food, amen? So why do I do that? Because, I, I mean, it's got bacon in it, too, which is really amazing. But look, there are at least two reasons to go to church. First, to obey God's request through the Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Here's what he asks. He said, let us believers in Christ hold unswervingly, can't be de deviated from the road, to the hope we have as Christians, without wavering. In other words, don't forget that at the moment you believed in Christ, you were saved, and when you close your eyes in this life, you're going to be in heaven face to face with the Lord. Don't forget, and you do forget, because you're constantly under the influence of the ruler of this world, Satan, who is making you forget and shifting your concentration to things that don't matter in a million years. So, let us believers in Christ hold unswervingly to the hope we have as Christians without wavering. For he who promised all the 7,000 things that are in the Bible promises is faithful. What does it mean? He always comes through. The Lord keeps his promises. And we need to be reminded of his promises constantly. What did Peter and Paul say? To repeat things to you is no problem for me, and it's a safeguard for you. 
And so every week I give you the gospel message. Well, why am I giving the gospel message to people who are saved? To remind you, because I'm sitting with men who are saved, who can't come up with the seven verses that ought to be the first verses off the top of your head. So what are they being taught? What is it exactly that they're being taught? For you guys, there's no excuse for you not to be able to come up with the seven verses. You hear them every week. Boom, write them out. We need to be reminded, Hebrews 10, 24, and let us believers in Christ, let us believers in union with Christ consider how to stimulate one another to unconditional love and good deeds. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, instead encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, day being the second coming of Christ drawing near. When a church is working well, that's exactly the benefit of it. Gathering together, we encourage each other to do the right things. We come here in Baran Ministries and we complain about our kids. Right? Because kids are a pain in the butt. Everybody thinks they're so cute and so sweet. They are a gigantic pain. And what makes them a pain in the butt? Their souls are all folly. The only thing they know how to do is play. And what do we want them to do? We want them to work. So what was my message to my kids? Work first, then play. You're not going to tell them just work. They'll think you're a tyrant. You tell them work first, then play. How long does it take to get that into them? Oh, about 21 years of constant repetition. Well, how long did it take us to figure out uh, after watching a little green gecko, the 15 minutes will save you 15% or more on your car insurance. It took Geico 10 years to get that into us. That's how long it takes. That's how much repetition it takes to get these things into kids. Because they're all play. That's all they want to do. So, what do we do? We come in here and we complain about our kids. And here I am, a person who's down the road. I got a 32-year-old and a 30-year-old. Uh, and, and I say, don't worry, at least yours have an excuse, Deacon Denny, for being goofy. They're three and five or whatever they are. Mine are still goofy. They're 32 and 30, amen? We encourage each other. And we're, we're saying to each other, we get together and we say to each other, keep going in the fight. Keep going in the fight. And the people who don't come to church, what do they do? They sit at home and eat their guts out. They don't have anybody to talk to about the stuff that, that bothers them. And then they start thinking after a while that the fact that they're bothered by these routine things that happen in life makes them weird. You're not weird. We all have the same concerns. We're all sick of wearing masks. We're all worried about what's coming up in the election. We're all worried about our 401ks and our savings and our retirement. Am I going to have enough money? What are the tricks the government has in store for me when I get to retirement? Oh, you're going to pay only $300 a month for your health insurance. Unless you make too much money, then you get to pay a $600 penalty for continuing to be a productive member of society. Wow, is this fun or not? And then we can come in here and we can complain about it. And then somebody will come up to you, punch you in your arm, say, let's go on, man. 
Let's go on. Yep, that happened. This is Satan's kingdom. You knew it was going to happen. Let's move on. Don't forsake being around people who can be encouraging. It makes a difference. You were not designed to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone, so I will make a helpmate suitable. So you get a spouse who can drive you crazy. Amen. Not just the kids, but the spouse and the kids drive you crazy. All right. So that's one thing. One of the important things about going to church is that we get together. The second thing is most Christians abandon their faith because of people. And when church isn't working well, when there are the inevitable horrible things that happen as we interact with other people, the church becomes a classroom for the practice of unconditional love. You get to go to church with a bunch of douchebags who will make you learn to use unconditional love. See, we don't have that problem here in Barah Ministries because for the most part, we like each other. When people come in here and visit Barah Ministries, they're constantly shocked that it's just a bunch of regular people who are welcoming people with open arms. We're just regular folks. We don't think all that of ourselves. We don't think we're amazing. We know how scumbaggy we are, but we're not going to drip our scumbag all over you. We're going to take it home and pour it over ourselves. Amen? And that's fun. And we got all the people out of here who want to think that they're better than everybody else. We don't want them here. Just go do that someplace else because we got that out in the world. As soon as we leave here, we're going to walk right out the door into a world where everybody thinks they're better than somebody because of something. Oh, you don't dress right. Oh, your, your skin color's not right. Oh, I don't like how you, I don't, whatever the number. You don't drive the right car. Whatever. Whatever. I like Japanese cars. Amen? <laughs> so that's one of the reasons that I admire our congregation so much because this is a forum where we get to learn and practice unconditional love. And the two things that I mentioned to you, gathering ourselves together and learning unconditional love in a place where you're pressured by people, is not available by watching and listening online. And that's one of the reasons I admire our, this congregation so much. We go out of our way to be together. We go out of our way to stimulate each other to good deeds. We go out of our way to tell each other, look, have some integrity. I know the world screwed you over, but have some integrity. Don't treat them that way back. I especially admire the efforts of the non-resident congregation members to come here for homecoming, to keep in touch with us and with each other, to gather on their own, especially our friends in the Pacific Northwest who host a conference every year and who gather regularly in their own homes, who pray with us every week via the Internet, emulating the first century churches. That's what happened in the first century. People gathered together in homes. All right, so we've got a congregation that imitates that, that mimics that. Well, why don't people come to church? People. Why ought people come to church? People. You can't grow alone, and you can't grow sitting at home. Amen? All right, so the next passage we're studying is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is all about people and the hurtful feelings that people can create. 
just as a reminder, the whole letter to the Corinthians was written because of people problems in the church. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11? Here's what they said. Now I, Paul, exhort you, fellow believers in Christ, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no rivalries among you. Instead, that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. For I, Paul, have been informed concerning you, my brethren, in the church at Corinth, by Chloe's people, that there are rivalries among you. Let's see what's next in this drama-filled church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. What's the next people problem in the church? 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. But in giving this instruction, and Paul is referencing the instruction he gave in verses 1 to 16, I do not praise you, Corinthian believers, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. Now, whenever anybody says in the first place, you expect them to say in the second place. Paul gets so mad in this passage that he never gets to the second place. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. 1 Corinthians 11.20 Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11.21 For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and the other is drunk. 1 Corinthians 11.22 What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. Paul sounded like the godfather there. You know, I remember when, uh, when he was trying to get his son, Michael, back from Sicily after he had killed off uh, Salazzo. He says, now if I were to bring my son back here, and he were to get killed or a house was to fall on him somehow, I would not forgive this. I like that. It's kind of indirect, but really threatening. Love the Godfather. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. You'll probably recognize this. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11.28 But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
1 Corinthians 11.29. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. 1 Corinthians 11.30. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. And I know you, you know that ain't talking about snoring on a heavenly bed, amen? Sleep means you're in a box under, six feet under. That's what that means. 1 Corinthians 11.31. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. 1 Corinthians 11.32. But when we are judged, we're disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. 1 Corinthians 11.33. So then, my brethren... When you come together to eat, wait for one another. 1 Corinthians 11.34 If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I'll arrange when I come. See, that's his, his second through tenth. He said, he was so mad, he just said, I just, I just, I just talked to you about the rest when I get over there. I got to come over there. I got to get you guys straightened out. So as we study this passage, what you'll notice is this structure. Verses 17 to 34 of 1 Corinthians 11 are the people abuses going on in the church. The, uh, verses 23 to 26 is the tradition celebrated in the church. That's the Lord's Supper. And then verses 27 to 34 is Paul's recommended solution for the abuses and some warnings. All right, so when we return from the five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll begin our verse-by-verse study of this passage. And today we're going to take, the, take on the people abuses portion of this. Remember, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. That's, that, wasn't that Barbara Streisand? People who need people are the... Yeah, you know what it is. I can't, I can't get up that high anymore. All right. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite. We'll all never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that Start talking to me, saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody, trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, why I don't want to go to church. Why I don't want to go to church. In a word, it's people. And we'll be back to that part of the lesson in just a few moments. Now, when you give, many people that you don't know all around the world receive the benefit. By giving, you display God's heart through your generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was God in heaven. He was God the Son, chilling in heaven. Yet for your sake, he became poor as true humanity. He took on the form of a human being. 
so that you, through his poverty, the cross, dying on a cross, the worst human death you can die, crucifixion, so that you might become rich. Well, let's keep on being generous like the Lord is generous. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with today's offering message. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. It's a place where real people come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And our recent study of Corinthians and idols has really changed my view on a certain verse. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For a time will come when the men of God will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own doctrinal desires. And so those accumulated teachers, they're basically idols, right? And they're teaching us different things. And I saw that firsthand yesterday. Elle, my three-and-a-half-year-old, has been playing soccer, her first sport, first team sport. And she's doing all right. You know, she stays on the field about half the time. But she's accumulated for herself other teachers. There's two other kids that are sitting there crying. One kid's over there hiding behind the mom. And so she sees that, and so that's her idea, to come hide behind us. And we do the same things, right? Look at the most popular daytime show, Oprah Winfrey. She's from a broken home. Her parents never married. She's not married. But what does she do? Teach hundreds of thousands of people, women most likely, and men as well, how to, how to, do, how to treat their marriages. What kind of doctrinal stuff are you getting from her? So you stack that on and accumulate, and the Bible says heap. So you're heaping it on. It's no organization. You're just stacking it on there for whatever. So think about Joel Osteen, another very popular person. That guy has, I think, a thousand tweets, and he's mentioned Jesus Christ three times. Huge platform. And what's he teaching people? Not Jesus Christ, right? So you stack that on. And then you've got the Pope. And he's trying to get ahead of all this stuff, all these other teachers, right? So he's relaxing standards right now for homosexuality. They're allowing it in the church. So apparently the word of truth is changing. And so we've got all these false teachers, you know, and it's, we just bring our, our flesh with us, I think. When we, we grab these teachers, well, that, that allows me to keep this part of my flesh. This allows me to keep part of my old self because, you know, that's what Oprah said or that's what Joel said or that's what the Pope said. That sounds good in the street, right? People believe you when you say that, but it doesn't really have any meaning, you know, and it's a bunch of old self we bring with ourselves. And I feel like, if we could see the weight of all the stuff we carry around, it would be, it would be a truckload. It would be so heavy, you wouldn't, wanna, you wouldn't even want to challenge it, or the mental weight that we stress ourselves out with. You think about it, it's a lot like smoking or drinking because they're a lot of fun, but they damage you. They damage your lungs, they damage your liver, and you can't see it, though. So it's easy to do. It's easy to just go with it. You can't see it. You maybe feel it a little bit, but it's similar to that, you know, and... In this world, what the world we're living in, we've got Jesus Christ and all these other teachers, Joel and Oprah and the Pope, and what are we supposed to do? That's our, our job, is to do, tickle the ears of people with the, with the gospel and help them get to the right teacher, Pastor Rory Clark, who's teaching the truth from the Word of God. And that's what we do by supporting this ministry, is we're, we're supporting an actual teacher that knows what he's talking about. And he's not talking about 
some kind of method from Oprah or some Joel Osteen saying that he's got going or even what the Pope has to say. So thank you, Pastor, and thank you, everybody, for always supporting this ministry. And uh, go Cards. Go Go Yeah. All right. I'll leave it at that. So thank you very much. Hit it, Larry. Today's Bible lesson, why I don't want to go to church. Why I don't want to go to church. And why don't I want to go to church? People. If you ask most people who don't go to church, that's what they would say. People at a church are supposed to be. You ever heard anybody say that? People at a church are supposed to be. And... The truth is they aren't. Now, here's the thing. Okay, so let's say that you have that as a viewpoint, that you have these expectations of people at church, and you find out they're not like that. What do you do? You abandon the expectations. Expectations kill relationships. But that's not what we do. We keep waiting for the time when people are going to conform to this crazy image that we have in our head of people. And when they don't, what do we do? And we spent our whole life doing that. <laughs> Which translated is, can you believe it? Can you believe that people aren't like I think they ought to be in my head? Yes, I can. And the reason I can is because I've seen evidence of it 
over and over and over again. They never meet the picture that's going on in my head. So therefore, I make an adjustment. People aren't like that. What are they like? They're hypocrites. And so evidently, God would have never formed a church if he expected only cool people to be in it. Because he knows everything. He knows everybody from eternity past. He knows that he was going to establish a church and who would be in it as hypocrites. Hupokrites, the Greek words, talking from behind a mask. That's what we all do. We're all first-class phonies. And the thing that's funny to me is that we're talking about other people being first-class phonies and not looking at the things that are phony about us. Other people have to put up with your phony, and you have to put up with theirs. But that's not how people do things. People like being one-sided. Somebody comes to you and says, Oh, pastor is blah, 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 blah. You automatically adopt it, as opposed to saying, Hey, pastor, somebody thinks this about you. Any truth to it? What's your viewpoint? And then taking the two viewpoints and melding them together to make your decision. That's not what we do as human beings. We just are off. So, yeah, people in churches are off base. In answering the questions being asked of him about the conduct of believers in the first century Corinthian church, which he founded, the Apostle Paul has been diplomatic up to this point. Now his answers turn to rebuke. What is rebuke? Rebuke is the expression of very strong disapproval. A rebuke is a reprimand. And Paul's getting in their face now because there's stuff going on in the church that he absolutely detests. The believers in the church at first century Corinth, even though they are now Christians, are still engaging in pagan practices and other conduct that was part of the Greco-Roman culture, the cultures of Greece and Rome. This self-focused culture had exactly the opposite sets of values of the unconditionally loving church Paul wished to create. Does that sound familiar at all? Here you are as Christians taking on a thought process of unconditional love, and you're going to go out into the world that is conditional love. You're good if. It's much like what happens today. We come here to Barah Ministries to love each other. We come here to enjoy fellowship. Then on the way home, we're yelling at people on the freeway. <laughs> Denny and Denny. <coughs> Excuse me. This is clearing my throat. <laughs> You do not want to ride with Deacon Denny. This is the nicest man in the world. We ain't behind a car, amen? He gets behind a car and all kind of stuff comes out. The, the policeman comes out in him. No, you shouldn't be doing that. Why can't we all just get along? But, I mean, that's all of us, right? I remember Catholic Church as a kid. Five minutes after church was over, everybody was out there bagging on each other. That's the truth. Hupocrites. We are phonies, and it just means to be okay with it. In light of the fact that we are phonies, what do we do? Nothing. We let God do it. God the Holy Spirit is responsible for changing us in the sanctification period of our lives, and he gets it done. And when we expose ourselves to the truth of the Word of God for long enough, 
what happens is we see these changes happening in us. Some of them happen fast and some of them happen slow. Well, in the next passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34, the subject matter Paul is addressing involves disrespecting the Lord's Supper celebration. In disrespecting the celebration, the people in the church were demonstrating a disrespect for God that manifests itself as indifference toward each other. They were not celebrating the Lord's Supper as the Lord intended, as a celebration of unity, as a celebration of unconditional love, as a celebration of sacrifice for others. In disrespecting the celebration, the people in the church were demonstrating a disrespect for each other. Those who had plenty were not sharing with those who had none. And as was typical in the Greco-Roman culture, there was a social class distinction. There was an I'm better than you, country club type atmosphere, especially in Corinth because the rich people went over from Rome to Corinth. There was social climbing. There was even seating differences. You know, in the, in the modern world, there's first class and there's coach. And of course, I sit in first class a lot and it's so much fun to be sitting up there in the wider seat sipping on my wine, which I got as soon as I got on the plane, sipping on it and having all the rabble walk by me and look and say, wow, I wish I was sitting up here. We don't. (laughs) But but I used to be the one walking in the back, right? So I can do that. That's one one of the things I like about my life is because is that I grew up dirt poor. My mom made 14 grand with two divorces under her belt and four kids under the age of 11. And we lived in a 925 square foot dump. And I love that because I don't live in a dump anymore. I was scared all the time. I'm not scared anymore. I even do what white people do now. I leave my door open at night, amen? (laughs) it's beautiful I get up in the morning no seriously (laughs) I get up in the morning sometime and my door my patio door is unlocked and the ghetto comes out and I could have been killed right and one of my friends told me one time it was like you don't have to have that reaction exactly nobody in this neighborhood is really interested in killing you So I said, okay, well, that's possible. I go check the police blotter, and five people were murdered in Gilbert last night, and I'm I'm dead bolting the door. I call call my contractor. Can I put a lock on this, please? Can't have this. Get alarms and stuff like that. Yeah, not Chihuahua. (laughs) Oh, my God. No, actually, a Chihuahua would be good, because sometimes I just feel like kicking stuff, you know? And... A football is one option, but chihuahuas would be fun, too. (laughs) No, that's right. Football doesn't make noise when you kick it. But anyway, so we have have examples of this social stratification, first class and coach. People in first class thinking they're special because they get on the plane first and get off the plane first. But the bad news for them is the first part of the plane that goes down is the nose, right? So I'd much rather be back by the bathroom all the way in the back 
if we're talking about dying, because the tail usually breaks off and gets saved. So, Anyway, in disrespecting the Lord's Supper celebration, the people in the church were demonstrating a disrespect for themselves as well. They were getting drunk and coming to church. The church members were still immature, still acting like the world. Do you remember what Paul said to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3? He said, And so I, Paul, brethren, fellow believers in Christ, could not speak to you, Corinthian believers, as I would speak to spiritual persons, those who are with the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit, believers in Christ. I can't talk to you like you're believers in Christ. I have to speak to you as if I'm speaking to men of flesh, those without the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit, unbelievers. I can't talk to you like you're believers. I've got to talk to you like you're unbelievers, as if I'm speaking to infants in union with Christ. Why? Because I am. I gave you milk to drink. Why? Because you don't have any teeth. You don't have the truth that gives you some teeth in your spiritual life. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. For you weren't able to digest solid food. And even now, you're not able to digest solid food. 1 Corinthians 3.3 For you're still acting as if you're fleshly. You're still acting like unbelievers. For since there keeps on being jealousy and strife persisting among you, are you not fleshly? Aren't you acting like unbelievers, being selfish, And are you not walking in lifestyle like mere men, as if you're not spirit-filled Christians? Yes. In other words, you don't teach three-year-olds quantum physics. They can't ingest it. What do you teach them? You teach them how to sit down and shut up and get control of their bodies, which they can do. So, that's... Paul's problem. So we're going to talk about the first part of this passage, which is the abuses. What are they? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. Paul says, But in giving this instruction about women and their headwear when praying and prophesying, in the first 16 verses of chapter 11, you just came out of that, I do not praise you because you come together as a church not for the betterment, not for the good of all of you, but you come together for the worse, to harm each other. Remember, in this divine age, the church age, there are no sacred buildings. Each of us is a temple of God, the Holy Spirit, and our bodies house the indwelling Trinity. So Paul is not highlighting a set of activities that's going on in the church. He's pointing out abuses that are happening as a church. The people in the church were treating each other poorly. Perhaps they met in the houses of wealthier members of the church. Some people, the right people, got to sit in the dining room in what was called the triclinium. That's a Latin expression for the place of three couches. And these three couches each seated three people, so there were nine people in the dining room, in the triclinium, while others were relegated to the lesser part of the house, the atrium. Murphy, excuse me. Well, (laughs) so here, here it is. Black Lives Matter, right? Blacks are in the atrium, man. We're in the atrium. We're not in the triclinium. Now, you thought this kind of childish behavior was a recent occurrence in the world? 
This kind of conduct is all you can expect in the kingdom of a divisive tyrant, the enemy of God, Satan, who seeks to divide the whole world. And the problem is that most people don't know that Satan is the ruler of this world, and most people don't know that Satan exists. And so they think this is people behind the orchestration of all this divisiveness. It is not. It is Satan and the kingdom of death and darkness that is orchestrating the divisiveness. And he has zero interest in making us feel together because he hates unity. When the two are two flesh, the man and the woman are living together, he doesn't bother them. The minute the two become one flesh, attack. Straight through the woman, straight in the back door, and then comes at the men through the front door. But he's a coward about that part. See? So, why do we expect that it's going to be anything else in his world? This is why all this pseudo-consciousness crap about the importance of diversity and social justice and racial equality will go absolutely nowhere, just like it has always gone absolutely nowhere. And you can put it on uniforms, you can put it in stadiums, you can shove it down our throat all you want to. It doesn't do a single thing to change anything. You know what I was thinking about? So look, I grew up in the hood, right? I grew up ghetto. And that's used as a verb now. That's so ghetto. Right? Well, that's where I grew up. Okay, so you grow up in the ghetto, what do you think like? You think ghetto. Why? Because that's all you're exposed to. You know what you know. Okay, so then I go to Northwestern University, one of the top ten universities in the world. Now, black students at Northwestern are feeling unequal and like there's injustice in the world and that they're disoriented. Why wouldn't you be? Why wouldn't you be? You came out of the hood and now you're in the palace. Why wouldn't that be disoriented? It took me two years to orient at Northwestern just to get my balance. I was like this. There was a woman who would come through the dish room. You know, the way I paid for my meals is by washing dishes, both in high school and college. I am an expert at dishes. Y'all need any dishes help? Call the brother. Because, see, what I'm going to do is wash your dishes before they go in the dishwasher, wash them in the dishwasher, take them out and dry them and put them away. That's what I learned for eight years so I could eat. This woman comes in in the dish room where I was working, and she was absolutely stunningly gorgeous. Eve Sutherland, cheerleader. So I thought, you know, I mean, I have no chance with Eve. She's out of Connecticut. I didn't even know where Connecticut was, right? I ain't been out of Illinois. I got no chance with her, but I sure can sit and talk to her for a few minutes and just stare at her. So I'm talking to her and started getting to know her a little bit. And then 5, 10, 15 conversations later, I find out she's got a Corvette. And she's getting a $5,000 a month allowance from her dad. Now, this is 1972. (laughs) $5,000 in 1972, that's like 20 today, isn't it? Five grand. And just to, to give you a contrast... When I went to Northwestern, 
The first day I got there, my mom gave me a check for $400. And she says, hold on to this. And I didn't know what she meant by hold on to it, but, you know, we didn't get meals on Sunday. So hold on to it meant that's where I was supposed to get my money for meals. So in December, after, at the end of the first quarter, she says, how much of that $400 do you have left? I said, none. Why did you spend that? I said, Mom, this place is crazy. It's just whack. They made us buy books for the classes. And they wanted money. Can you even imagine that? And then on Sunday, when there are no meals served, I actually had to pay to eat. And that's where your $400 went in four weeks. You shouldn't have spent that money. I know, Mom. I know. So this whole thing is insane. But th this has been the society we live in forever, where you get to feel inferior to others or superior above others. And it's going to be that way from now on. The only way to change diversity, racial equality, and social justice is to change it in your own head, one person at a time. Amen? And you have complete control over that. You don't have to ask society to grant you the permit. Okay, black people, you're all equal now. Isn't that great? <laughs> now what? I still got to go to work, right? I still got to go to work? Yeah, I got to go to work. I don't need anybody to tell me I'm equal. I don't need anybody to tell me. You can tell me anything you want about my skin color making me inferior. I am not inferior. I am superior. You can tell me, if you want to, that I am a minority. I am, because I think, and most people don't. You are not going to frame how I think about myself. It's already been framed by my Lord and Savior, and he says, Rory, you hung the moon. I love you unconditionally. You are forgiven, and when you make a mistake, I forget it. That's what ought to be going on in your head. And, you know, and, and because it's not, now we got diversity, equality, and injustice. And now we're going to put it on our uniforms and shove it down everybody's throat. I don't want to hear anything today when I'm watching the Cardinals peck the absolute crap out of the seagulls. I don't want to hear one thing about politics. All I want to hear is Kyler Murray again. Kyler Murray again. I don't want to hear Black Lives Matter, amen? That Black Life Matters to me. Get another touchdown, Kyler. I want to hear politics. I don't want to hear about the president or the election or none of that. Or the debate. Or the lies. I'm mad I got to watch I, I, it's mute. You know, I'm Joe Biden, and I endorse this lie, or message, whatever he said. I don't want to hear it. So, no one outside you can grant you freedom. You are free when you decide you are. That's that. 1 Corinthians 11:18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church... I, Paul, hear the divisions against among, uh, exist among you, and I, Paul, believe the report. In the Corinthian church, there were haves and have-nots. 
Maybe Corinth was actually the phoenix of the ancient world instead of the Las Vegas of the ancient world because our socioeconomic makeup in Phoenix is exactly the same as Corinth. There are the haves and the have-nots. If you don't believe it, go over to uh, Fashion Square Mall, dress kind of raggedy. You'll find out real quick. You can get beat. You get. You go to Scottsdale. You get swept in Burger King, man. Like, can you believe he doesn't have a tuxedo on in Burger King? That's whack. Well, there is a competitiveness in the flesh of human beings. We want to be better than others. We can't just enjoy the differences between us and others. We get jealous. We get envious. We covet. We don't want what we have. We don't want what we earn. We want what everyone else has with no work, and we want to have things handed to us. But the world doesn't work that way. Our success is not based on our environment. If it were, my brothers and sisters and I would have all, all have the same circumstance because we grew up in the same environment. It is not based on your circumstances. If it were, my brothers, brothers and sisters and I would all have the same circumstances because we grew up in the same circumstances. No, our success comes from our choices. And as a result, we each have different education levels, different religious experiences, different financial acumen, different politics, different expectations, different experiences, different success in relationships. Yet we don't value our uniqueness. We covet sameness. What a pity. I'd actually prefer to be with the real people in the atrium rather than being with the stuffy people in the triclinium. Competitiveness between people is what leads to rivalries and divisions. 1 Corinthians 11:19. For it's inevitable that there must also be factions among you so that those who are elite may become evident among you. This is a verse that is taken out of context quite often. And out of context, the meaning of this verse changes dramatically. Most people see this verse as a commentary on what inevitably happens in congregations. There are factions, and some people leave, and the people who stay are the cool ones. That is not what this verse is saying in context at all. The verse actually says is that if the Corinthian believers didn't set up factions, then the elite would blend in with the rabble. And that is not what they wanted to do. They didn't want to blend in with the poor people, so they set up the factions so that it was clear, there are the haves and you are the have-nots. And that's what Paul was bothered by. The triclinium, the three couches with the nine people, made it obvious that there were the haves and the have-nots in this congregation when they got together as a church. The food served in the triclinium was the best. The rabble, let them eat cake, like Marie Antoinette said. The food and the wine served, allowed the, the elite to stand out, and these things were typical in the Greco-Roman culture. And Paul is appalled by it, and the pun is intended. 1 Corinthians 11.20, you know, June, Paul, appalled, you get it. Laugh was a little tardy. You should have jumped right on that. 1 Corinthians 11.20. Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. 
For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first in front of everyone else. The rich people would eat their supper in front of everyone else. The door was open, and the people in the atrium could look in and see them dining. Oh, mm, yum. Oh, how do you like the duck? Isn't the skin exquisite on the duck? And, you know, then there were the poor ones, and a lot of them were hungry with no food. They had just gotten off work. They're rushing over to be at the, at the house, to be at church late. They didn't have time to put the food together. No microwaves back then. And then they're looking in, and the elite people are drunk on their expensive wine because elite people's wine had a little more alcohol in it. Well, the Corinthian believers are imitating the world and its selfishness. And the Lord's Supper in the first century church was part of a larger meal. People would bring their own food and wine to the gathering place, wherever it was. And what would make sense in the celebration is that there was one room, one time to gather, and all the eating and socializing would be shared, done together in a theme of unity, consistent with the Lord's Supper celebration intention. But exactly the opposite happened. The poorer members of the congregation often didn't have any food, and the elite members weren't sharing. And Paul is mad about this because it violates the spirit of the Lord's Supper celebration. And that's why Paul was giving these people the rebuke. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. Paul says, wait, wait, what? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? The have-nots. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this matter, I will not praise you. Look, if we want people to come to church, we have to treat people like people. And I love it that you here at Barah Ministries do that. There is, by the way, one other benefit of coming to church. I told you about two. We're gathering ourselves together with like-minded people who encourages us to unconditional love and good deeds. I told you that another thing that is a benefit of coming to church, what was the second thing? There you go. It's a classroom for unconditional love. But the next thing is, it's a great place to gather with real people who are learning from a real pastor who's teaching the real truth of the Word of God. And believe me, there are a lot of amazing men teaching the real truth of the Word of God all through the world. God did not stop making people who want to see things from His perspective when He made me. I am one of a minuscule number of thousands and thousands of men all over the world who are teaching the real truth of the Word of God. Church is a great place to grow your relationship with Christ and to equip yourself for another week in the world That's why we come together here, to learn about Christ and to equip ourselves for another week in the world. All right, well, next week we'll go on to the middle section where we'll look and see what was happening actually in the Lord's Supper. Well, the closing moments of our lesson are always the same. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. You matter to God. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about His promise of salvation, as some have accused Him of. 
Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any to perish in the lake of fire, but for all to come to repentance, which is a voluntary change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. To God, to God's enemy, Satan, the ruler of this world, you don't matter at all. 1 Peter chapter, eight, ver, chapter 5, verse 8 says this, Be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You are the someone on Satan's list. The closing moments of our study are for those of you who do not have a personal relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's for those of you who may be wondering what's going to happen to you when you close your eyes in this life. Satan, the enemy of God, dislikes you so much that he doesn't want you to be saved. He doesn't want you to be with God in heaven when you close your eyes in this life. He wants you to be with him in the lake of fire. He wants you so badly that he sends false teachers to deceive you. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, the Lord himself warns about this. He says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What is a ravenous wolf? It's a hungry wolf looking for someone to eat. The bad news is that all of us are born in a state of unrighteousness. We are born physically alive and spiritually dead as ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers. It's not our fault, but it is our circumstance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. The gospel message is your guide to the good news that rescues you from the kingdom of darkness you were born into, inviting you to be born again to the spiritual life available in God's kingdom of light. Satan, the enemy of God, who is a very real being, not a concept, sends false teachers to give you a false gospel message. For example, if you've ever had Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, they are evangelizing to you. If you've ever had members of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints come to your door, they are evangelizing to you. Unfortunately, both of these groups are inviting you to believe in a false gospel message so that you can share eternity with them in the lake of fire. Neither of these groups believes that Jesus Christ is God. I have family members who are a part of one of these religions, and in spite of my best evangelism efforts, my family members don't want to hear anything that God has to say to them through me. In fact, they are absolutely repulsed I handed my sister-in-law one of my books, And You Will Be Saved, and she recoiled from it, didn't even want to touch it. Many parents are leading their children to an eternity in the lake of fire. If you want to assess whether or not you're a good parent, just ask yourself a simple question. Are you influencing your children to have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe? He is the only way to get to heaven according to John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message, the word of God, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven,
but through believing in me. If a gospel message makes it sound like you have to work to get to heaven, it is a false gospel message. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says, we don't have to work to be saved. It says, if salvation is by grace, which is a free gift from God, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is a free gift is no longer grace because it's not free. In fact, Roman chapter, Romans chapter 4, verse 4 says you can't work for salvation. It says, now to the one who works for salvation, his wage for his work is not credited to his account as a favor from the grace of God, but his wage is credited as what is due for the work. Unfortunately, your hardest work is not perfect enough to earn you a spot in heaven. Do you want to get to heaven free of charge? I'm asking you, do you want to get to heaven free of charge? Let the people hear you. Yes. Well, Acts 16. 16.31 says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved you and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment. It is not a future event. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 highlight Jesus' mission. God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be crucified on a cross so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3:17. For God the Father did not send God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to judge the world, but the Father sent the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. Well, who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. If you'd like... You can spend the eternal state with God's enemy, Satan, in the lake of fire. Or you can have the free gift of eternal life right this minute. There's no time to waste. God wants you. If you want to go to heaven when you close your eyes in this life, simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Take his word for it concerning salvation and the resurrection life is yours, free of charge. Amen? Amen. Amen. Tell everybody. Print that out and hand it out. Amen? Amen. All right. Larry, send that out to, to the mailing list so they have no excuse not to have it. All right, let's close with music. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you believers in Christ, but such as is common to humans. God the Father is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to endure, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you'll be able to handle it. 
Our God is always true to his word, and the word used to describe his integrity is the word faithful. And here's June Murphy to remind us that he's been faithful.
doxology of praise to our God and some of our favorite verses that remind us that we are saved once for all time and that we can never lose our salvation. Romans chapter 8 verses 37 to 39. In every situation imaginable, believers in Christ keep on overwhelmingly conquering through the Lord who gives, who loves us unconditionally. Romans 8:38. For I, Paul, am convinced that neither death nor life, not physical death nor anything in this life, not elect angels who wouldn't, nor principalities, demons, fallen angels who couldn't, nor things present, the things right now that we're going through, nor things to come in the future, nor powers, demon powers, Romans 8.39, nor height, nothing in the heavens, nor death, nothing under the earth, nor any other created thing, no creature, will ever be able to sever us from the unconditional love of God the Father who is for us believers in Christ through our union with Christ Jesus our Lord, his Son. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you that we are in your so great care and that you've given us a so great salvation and that we have a so great Holy Spirit who indwells us, who is our guide, our mentor, and our teacher to help us learn about you through your word so that we can grow by means of grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we go forward this week, take care of our problems. We know that you consider our problems to be your responsibility. So let us slam our cares on your back so that you can handle them and keep on maturing us to be the, the people who have hope a hope that does not disappoint. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.